following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. For those of you who weren't here this morning, just to kind of fill you in, you know where we're at. I had the Sunday school hour this morning out here, and uh, I taught on the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 which you cannot understand the book of Revelation or end time events unless you know that prophecy and understand it. It all begins to make sense when you have that. And we, we have some handouts back there about that. And uh, But that's what we did during the Sunday school hour, the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, 69 of those weeks are past their history a long time ago. There's one week left, the 70th week. It's seven years long. And that's yet future, I believe, in the very near future. And uh, that's the one that we're waiting on. I don't plan to be on earth during that time, though. Amen? I plan to exit out of here right before it starts. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, tonight and throughout the week. And then during the the regular worship hour, I preached uh, uh, the introduction or uh, through the book of Revelation, an overview of Revelation, rather, And we started at chapter 1 and ended up in chapter 22. And some of you are saying, yeah, man, I I didn't think we'd ever get out of here. But anyway, uh, we covered the whole book of Revelation virtually this morning. And uh, if you uh, weren't here, I'd encourage you to uh, go online and go to uh, the Facebook site for this church and you can watch that message because all these messages are going to build on each other. And uh, this is not what I normally do. I'm an evangelist, and most of my messages are just simple, gospel-centered salvation messages, but I, I love Bible prophecy. I'm not an expert, as I said this morning. I want to tell every, every service, I'm not an expert on Bible prophecy. Some are. I'm not, but I am a student of Bible prophecy, and I have been for over 30 years and uh, I love to study it. I love to read about it. I read the guys who are the experts, <laughs> and uh, I do a lot of research and such. And so the Lord has opened a few doors for me to do some of these conferences this year. Did one in back in November, and I've got two or three more uh, coming up to do uh, here in the next couple of months. And so I'm enjoying that. You know, when you think about Jesus coming again, friends, I want to tell you, it ought to purify our hearts. It ought to make us to want to draw closer to him and tell others about him. Amen? Amen. I really ought to. So take your Bibles tonight and turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And uh, I'm going to just read the first three verses of this chapter tonight. Matthew, the 24th chapter, verses 1 through 3. And I want to invite you, if you would please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Beginning with verse 1, and uh, it, and it says, Jesus went out and he departed from the temple. That would have been in Jerusalem. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be uh, left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. By the way, those words were fulfilled in A.D. 70 when Titus, the Roman general, invaded Israel and they destroyed the second temple. That's when that happened. I've been there many times, and you see the stones still laying on the ground on top of each other that uh, that fell off, all right? And then look at verse 3. 
And as he sat up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the age, or the end of the world? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for the time to come together tonight. Thank you for the time we had to praise you and worship you through music and through song. And Father, thank you for the good crowd here tonight. And I pray, Father, as I speak to people's ears, I pray that you will speak to their hearts tonight. Lord, anyone in this building tonight that's never been saved, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that's never been born again, that doesn't have assurance of heaven and eternal life, I pray the Spirit of God might move up on their hearts, Lord, that you might convict them, you might draw them, and when that time of invitation comes, they'll see their need to surrender their life to Christ. So, Father, have your way tonight. We make sure you get all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, is this thing still on or... uh, Am am I still on here? Okay, all right, okay, I just want to make sure. You know, studying Bible prophecy, or it's eschatology, which is the study of end end time events, to me is one of the most exciting things that you can do. But we all need to understand that when studying prophecy and end time events, There are always going to be those who are going to disagree with us on certain issues, and that's not a problem. Uh, Good, educated, well-intended people often disagree in this area on some of these points. But I want you to also understand, having said that, that in this area there's some other subjects that I believe are very, very clear. They're very, very plain. They're very certain. They're not up for debate whether anyone agrees with you or not. Amen? They are cut and dry issues. And then there are other beliefs about uh, end-time events that are just completely wrong and lack scriptural support. So I want to warn you before I move into this message tonight, friends, there are two extremes that I see with students of Bible prophecy. The first extreme is this. You can go to seed on it. Amen? And that's all people think about. That's all they talk about. Man, I mean, if they turn on the TV or they pick up a newspaper, it's just all, everything, boy, it's all doomsday and the end is here. Amen? And that's one, that's an extreme that you can go to. You don't need to go to that extreme. You could go to seed on it. And uh, we do need to be concerned about it, absolutely, but we certainly don't need to be consumed about it. Because while prophecy is important, it's not the most important thing. Salvation in Christ is. Amen? That's the most important thing. And the other extreme, which I see way too much of in our churches, is to completely ignore it and never preach about it, never study it, never uh, uh, teach on it uh, whatsoever. And that's very foolish, and you're missing a blessing uh, by doing that. So I want to speak to you tonight on a subject that I've titled Seven Major Lies About Bible Prophecy. Seven Major Lies About Bible Prophecy. I hope that you'll write them down and take some notes. What are they? Okay. If you're ready, say amen. Okay. Lie number one. The book of Revelation is only symbolic and it cannot be taken literally. That's a lie. Amen. Now, I dealt with that, I think, 
pretty well this morning, but we're going to cover it because that's one of my points tonight. Look at Revelation 1.19. This is the very verse I used this morning. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, you have a natural outline for the entire book of Revelation. If you want to know how, how to outline the book of Revelation, it does it for you right here in verse 19. He says, write the things that thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. Write the things that are, that's chapter 2 and 3, and write the things that shall be hereafter. And that's chapter 4 all the way until the end of the book, all right? But there are many people, and this view has been around for a long time, and unfortunately it's becoming more popular in our day and time, I believe because of a certain theological view of, of many of our preachers in our churches today, and that is that the book of Revelation is only symbolic and it can't be taken literally. Many believe that the book of Revelation, although it's inspired by God, they believe it's only symbolic of of good and evil up on the earth and that you cannot take a literal approach to interpret it. And I made it very clear this morning, I take a literal approach in interpreting the book of Revelation. Amen? I take a futuristic approach, which I believe that everything is yet future uh, to come. It's not happened yet, but it is going to happen. And I believe the book of Revelation needs to be interpreted literally. Amen? Now, again, some believe that the events in Revelation, that the whole thing's already taken place. And these views, folks, really are ridiculous. Again, as you move on, chapter 4, you have, I believe, the rapture. Chapter 5, you have the throne room in heaven. And then chapter beginning with chapter 6, you have the tribulation on the earth all the way to chapter 19 when Jesus returns back to the earth. And it deals with that seven-year period. And so the outline has made it very clear. The things that you have seen, the things which, which are, that was back during the first century, of course, and the things that will come after this, all right? So, I believe that that is a lie about Bible prophecy, that you cannot take the book of Revelation literally. That's why some people don't study it, quite frankly. They, they, they think everything's symbolic and you got to read something into it. The book of Revelation is a very systematic book and well organized, as you saw this morning, uh, as we went through it, all right? Uh, lie number two. Here's another lie about Bible prophecy. The rapture is not in the Bible. The rapture is not in the Bible. Well, I'll say this. It's true that the English word, English word rapture is not in the Bible. But the rapture is in the Bible. Amen? And you can't get it out, all right? Let's look at it. First Thessalonians 4. I just briefly mentioned it this morning, but let's look at it here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. That's talking about Christians who have died in the Lord and gone to heaven. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's the unsaved, the lost. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not prevent or precede those that are asleep. 
I love verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. But look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain, those Christians who are alive on the earth when the rapture happens, shall be called up, you ought to circle those two words, called up, together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus will ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. All right? So, the rapture is also known as the blessed hope for the believer. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And if I had a quarter, Brother Tracy, for every time somebody has come up to me and said, well, the rapture is not in the Bible, I would be a multi-millionaire. Amen? And again, while I agree the English word rapture is not in the Bible, the Bible clearly, very clearly teaches the concept of the rapture. All right? We need to remember there are other concepts of major Bible doctrines uh, that we believe as Christians that are very, very necessary that aren't in the Bible. For example, the word Trinity. It's not in the Bible. You know, that's a very serious Christian doctrine. Amen? What is the Trinity? We, As Christians, we believe in one God, and he's expressed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen? That's the triune God. That is the Trinity. That's foundational for our faith. We're, we're the only group that believes in the Trinity, born-again believers. Well, it's not in the Bible, but we believe it. The word Bible itself is not in the Bible. Amen? It's not there, but of course we believe the Bible and we preach from the Bible and we teach from uh, from the Bible. And there are other doctrines in the Bible. The word Sunday, now some of the newer translations I've been told have, have started putting Sunday in there, but the word Sunday is not in most Bibles. It's the first day of the week which Sunday is the first day of the week. Amen? And that that's what entered. But we believe in Sunday and we worship on Sunday on, on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, as the early church did, okay? So just to say that, I want to say this. When it comes to rapture, the English word's not in the Bible, but I believe the Bible teaches a rapture. Amen? So where do we get it from this passage? Well, look back, if you will, uh, at what he says here. He says in verse 17 that we which are alive and remain shall be called up. That's where it comes from. We shall be called up with them in the air. Those two words called up means to be snatched up. It means to seize with force. I mean, it, it means to be kept from danger. It's a very, very powerful word. You say, I still don't see the word rapture. Well, hang on a minute. In the Greek, that's one word in the Greek. It's the Greek word harpazo. That's translated called up in the English. Two words. What does harpazo mean? Called up. (laughs) Amen? To snatch up. To seize with force. Well, where did we get the word rapture? It all goes back to the Latin uh, version of the Bible. Before the Bible was ever translated into English, it was translated into Latin. All right? And they used the word rapturo, rapturo, which we get the word rapture from. Amen? And so it just kind of called on as an official term for this event. But it's the catching away. Amen? It is the snatching 
uh, away of, of believers from the earth. What's it going to involve? Well, the rapture is going to involve the resurrection of the dead. Their bodies are going to be resurrected and be called up uh, in the air to meet their soul, their spirit in the air, and have a glorified resurrected body. And then it's going to involve the translation of the living. Friend, if you're alive at the time of the rapture, and the Lord comes in the air and that trumpet sound, immediately you are going to be translated, you're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and you're going to have a glorified, resurrected body for all of eternity. Amen? And that's what the rapture is about. He's going to remove his church. He's going to remove every born-again believer before he sends his wrath upon this earth. All right. In fact, it's the rapture that begins the tribulation. When the, after the rapture happened, the tribulation begins. All right. So the rapture is in the Bible. It's a lie that there's no such thing as a rapture. All right. Number three. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Another major lie about Bible prophecy. The church replaces Israel. The church, boy, I, I can almost get in a fighting mode over this one. Amen. The church replaces Israel. Absolutely not. That's not true. Look over at Revelation chapter 12, not Revelation, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I could give you dozens and dozens and dozens of other verses, but we don't have time for that. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, who became Abraham, of course, the father of the Jewish nation, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, which became the land of Israel. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Then look at verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant that God made to Abraham, that he has a covenant for them, and that covenant yet is still valid, and it's still going to be fulfilled. Amen? God is not done with Israel. He has a plan for Israel, and the church has not replaced Israel. Uh, look over at 1 Corinthians 10.32. This is real important. You see this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, and look what your Bible says over here. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32, if I can find it. Okay, there we are. It says, give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Three different things. Amen? Three different things that he's talking about here. And see, the devil manufactured this lie that that the church replaces Israel, this is very, very popular today among certain groups and certain denominations, by the way, and it's even getting popular in some of our Baptist churches, and it's called replacement theology. Replacement theology. What You say, what's that mean, preacher? That the church has replaced Israel. There's just one problem with it. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. Amen? The church has not and never will replace Israel. Friends, Satan, the devil, hates Israel. He hates Jewish people, and he's tried many times to destroy them and remove them from the earth. Amen? 
And, you know, this whole deal that happened on October the 7th, I'm going to speak about it either tomorrow or Tuesday night. What, what happened over there, again, that was an attempt by Hamas, which is a terrorist, Palestinian terrorist organization that's fueled by Iran, who, who, uh, they, they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They don't believe they have a right to exist. All right? And that kind of thinking's been around a long time. Remember Adolf Hitler? He tried to wipe out the Jewish race. He put, he put to death six million Jews in the gas chamber. And I mentioned this morning, our nation at that time during the Holocaust, our president did absolutely nothing. The United States was silent about it and turned her head and did nothing and ignored it. Amen? Should have done something. And after that, we got bombed Pearl Harbor. Why? We didn't stand up with Israel. We didn't stand up with the Jews. And then later on, when Israel was reestablished as a nation, May the 14th, 1948, then we were the first, the first nation in the world to stand up with them and recognize them as a sovereign Jewish state. And praise God for that. And I think God has blessed us ever since then because of that. Amen? And friend, I'm telling you, the greatest thing any American president could ever do is give 100% support behind Israel. Amen? The moment we quit backing and standing for Israel, it is over for the United States of America. It's over. It's done. Amen? And I, I, the only reason I believe God's not leveled us in judgment yet, we certainly deserve it, the only reason he's not done it yet is because we've been the only ally Israel has had. Amen? We've been the only one. And friends, it, that, I'm going to tell you that tonight is <laughs> it's wavering pretty bad. Amen? And we need to stand with Israel. And it bothers me when I hear Christians uh, be negative about Israel and negative about the Jews. And listen, yeah, yeah, most Jews, uh, you go over to Israel today, most of the Jews are atheists. Most of them. Most of them. Uh, uh, you know, a Jew uh, has got to be saved just like we do. Amen? They don't have a free pass into heaven. But I love the Jewish people. I love the nation of Israel. And uh, they're part of the last day plans for their uh, uh, redemption, but I'm going to stand with Israel. So the church has not replaced Israel. No debates, end of story, no comma, but a period. <laughs> Amen? And God still has a plan for Israel. He gave the covenant to Abraham and his descendants, and that, by the way, that's not the church. That's not the church. In Revelation, uh, in Romans, I keep wanting to say the book of Revelation tonight. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, look what your Bible says. I say then, has God cast away his people? He's talking about Israel. This whole chapter is about Israel. God forbid, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. No, he's not cast off his people. He still has a plan for them. We are living right now in the gap. Remember when I talked this morning? The 69 weeks of Daniel have passed. There's a 70th week coming yet. That's the tribulation period. We are living in the gap right now. We are living in the time of the Gentiles. We are living in the church age. Amen? And when the church age is up, God's going to remove his church. He's going to remove his bride and take her to heaven. And then the 70th week of Daniel is going to begin, and he's going to begin to deal with Israel specifically again. Amen? And we need to understand that. Most Jews are in darkness. 
and they're temporary blinded. There are some of them uh, saved over in Israel. There's some who are saved. I've got a good Jewish friend who is a saved uh, uh, Jew who, is, who has trusted Christ. That's called a Messianic Jew. But there's only a few of them. There's only a few of them. And the goal is that they will all come to Christ. And all of them won't, just like all Gentiles won't, but they'll come to Christ and embrace him as their Messiah and Lord and Savior. Amen? So, another lie. The church does not replace Israel. All right? Here's the next lie that's been circulated for years. You can predict the date of the rapture. (laughs) If you watch many television preachers, you've probably heard this, by the way, and uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Let's look at your Bible there. Uh, Jesus says, by the day and the hour, and he's not talking about the rapture, he's talking about the second coming when he comes back to there, two different things, but of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. The same thing would be true, of course, with the rapture. Amen? The same thing would be true, and the implication is clear. You and I, no prophecy expert, no television preacher, can predict when the rapture will be, and we cannot set dates. Amen? We just can't do that. And anybody that does that, friends, they are a false prophet. And you ought to turn them off and never listen to them again. Amen? And the airways are full of them. Turn, turn on a couple Christian radio stations. There's more junk on there than there is truth. Amen? And friends, I believe that Jesus gave us signs to show us when his coming is near. But the date and the hour, only the Father knows that. Back in 1988, uh, I got saved in 83. So I'd only been a Christian a few years. Back in 1988, a preacher wrote a book that became real popular in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Any of you all remember that or see it? Uh, I was pastoring a church, and I had one sent to me in the mail. Every pastor in America got one, I, I believe. I wish I still had that thing. But anyway, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 88. Well, guess what? The rapture didn't happen in 1988, Right? It still hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But we don't know when it's going to happen. We have to leave that in God's hand. Jesus tells us we're to be watchful and we're to be waiting. He told us that we're to occupy until he comes. That means get busy doing kingdom work for his kingdom, for his glory. Try to get as many people into the kingdom as possible between now and then, amen? Because we don't know when it's going to be, and that's why you've got to make sure that you're ready. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, and then we'll move on to my next point. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at that for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, look look at the opening verses, verse 1. But of the time and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you as a thief. He said, man, you know Christ, you're ready. You're not going to be surprised when he comes. Amen. But again, we're to occupy until he comes. We don't go around setting dates and trying to figure all of that out. Only the Father knows that. All right, here's number five, I think it is. 
Another lie about Bible prophecy, the Antichrist can be identified today. (laughs) Now, Lord willing, I plan on doing a whole message about this dude one night this week, all right? And I'm not going to try to identify him because I can't. And neither can you and neither can anybody else. Amen? We can have speculations, of course. We all do. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verse, uh, look at verse three and four. He's talking about the rapture in the first two verses. Then in verse three he says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. And now he's talking about the tribulation and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the antichrist, who what opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that's worship, that's the abomination of desolation, so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. We talked about that this morning. The Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty between the Jews and and between the Arabs. The Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt very quickly on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years into it, he's going to go into the Holy of Holies and declare that he is God and demand that the whole world worship him. Amen? That's what he's going to do. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus called it the abomination of desolation. You notice it doesn't tell us who it is. It doesn't tell us who that guy is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. We looked at this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 8 tells you that he's the beast out of the sea, out of the seas of people. And we don't have time to look at all these verses, but you can jot them down. Revelation chapter 17, Revelation 13, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, Daniel chapter 11. Uh, we don't have time to look at them. We, we'll deal with them throughout the week. But nobody themselves knows who the Antichrist is going to be. Now, I'll tell you what I believe. This is just what I believe. I personally believe that he is alive and well on planet Earth right now. Because I believe the coming's that soon, that close. Not setting no dates. But I believe it's that close. And I believe he's alive and well on the Earth right now. But I don't know who he is. I'm not trying to figure out who he is. And it's a waste of time trying to predict who he will be. Amen? And over the years, there have been a lot of predictions. For example, some says, well, it was Adolf Hitler. Well, he, he, uh, <clears throat> fit the bill pretty good. Amen. But he, he wasn't the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to make Hitler look like a choir boy. He, he's going to be that bad, that evil. In fact, he's going to be demon possessed. I believe, uh, Hitler was as well. Amen. You'd have to be to do what he did. You'd have to be demon-possessed. Uh, some said it uh, uh, it was Stalin. Some said it was Gorbachev. You all remember him? Uh, some said it was Prince Charles. Some said it was Nero back in the first century. Some said it was Napoleon. Now we'll get up to date. Some said it was Bill Clinton. Uh, <laughs> some said it was Barack Obama. Well, they weren't an art. Although, I'll say this, they have some similarities, some more than others. Amen? But they aren't the Antichrist. They aren't the Antichrist. And again, Daniel uh, chapter 7 uh, gives you some detail. Chapter 8 does. Chapter 11 does. In fact, we'll look at chapter 11. Turn over to Daniel chapter 11 for just a moment. Daniel chapter 11, and we'll move on. Uh, the 11th chapter, look at verse, uh, again with verse 36. It says, 
and the king shall do according to his will. It's talking about the Antichrist. And he'll exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any god for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall uh, he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not shall be honored with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. And thus he shall do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he acknowledged and increased with glory, with, with, with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. I spoke about this morning how Jesus talked about how he's, uh, the Antichrist will go into the temple. And it also says he's going to set up an image of himself. And that image is going to be able to speak and demand that the world worship the image of the beast. You say, how in the world would that be? I believe with automatic intelligence, AI, as we call it today, which you can't watch any news without them talking about AI. I believe that's all been developed for this very purpose. And you ought not ever dabble in that stuff, friend. People say, I've talked to things on that AI. You're talking to demons. And you need to stay away from it. Amen? Y'all not have anything to do with that kind of stuff, all right? And so that's another lie of Bible prophecy. The Antichrist can be identified today. Now, some believe they can identify perhaps his nationality, and that could be possible there. It seems to point that he's he might be a, 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 have a Gentile with some Jewish descent, perhaps even a Roman Christian Jew. But regardless, we don't know, and there's no need to speculate who he might be. Amen? We just know that he's going to come, all right? Now, here's another big lie of Bible prophecy. Satan is already bound. I want to tell you, if Satan is already bound, he's got a long chain. Amen? Satan is not bound. We're living in the most wicked, evil time in the history of the world. Amen? And it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. It just is. It's going to get worse. And and Satan is not bound yet. I wish he was. But one day he will be. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel came down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. And he bound him for how long? A thousand years. That's during the millennial kingdom. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. That's not hell. He will get cast into hell. But he cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal up on him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he will be loosened only for a season. So the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back to the earth in his second coming, remember, not the same thing as the rapture. The rapture, he comes in the air to get his church. You have the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back to the earth with his church. Amen? And when he comes back in his return back to the earth, Satan will, he's going to take Satan and he's going to bind him for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. And uh, people think that Satan is bound right now. And friends, I, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life to think that Satan is bound right now with sin being the degree that it is and waxing worse and worse, not on a daily basis, hourly. Amen? 
And, and I mean, come on. He's not bound. He's very proactive. He's working on the earth right now. We're not in the millennial kingdom. We're sure not the millennial kingdom, and uh, he isn't bound yet. Rather, what's he? He's like a roaring lion. What does First Peter 5, 8 say? Seeking whom he may devour. That's what he's doing. He's patrolling the earth, seeking whom he may devour. All right, let me give you one more. Another lie about Bible prophecy. The Jewish temple will not be rebuilt. That's a lie because the temple will be rebuilt. Amen? I'm going to be over there in a couple weeks, and I'll be standing on the Temple Mount where the temple used to stand and where the future uh, temple is going to stand. I believe right next to the Islamic Dome of the Rock that shouldn't have ever been put there in the first place, but it's there. Amen? But the Jewish temple is going to be built. Now, there have been two Jewish temples in Jerusalem, and they've been destroyed. There's no temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today. And unfortunately, uh, the religion of Islam has possession of that. And there's plenty of evidence that there once was a temple there. The first temple was built under King Solomon in, uh, uh, in 1000 B.C. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Later on, the second temple was renovated uh, or, or built, excuse me, built, and later renovated under the orders of King Herod in 18 B.C., and this would have been the temple that Jesus stood in in Matthew 24 and talked about. It was destroyed when the Romans invaded Israel and invaded Jerusalem on A.D. 70. So there hadn't been a temple there ever since. There's not one there today. But the Bible is very clear that in the end times, the last days, another temple will be built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Antichrist, we're going to, listen, after the rapture, the Antichrist comes to power. Uh, he's going to lead up a confederacy of nations where the world will unite and there's going to be a one world global government and that's, that's what everybody's pushing for right now. Amen. I believe even our own government leaders want that. I know they want that. And that's why things are being done the way they're being done. And, and there'll be a one world global government. There'll be a one world monetary system because cash will be done away with. You'll have to take the mark of the beast either in your hand or forehead. There won't be any cash. So there'll be a one world economic system, a one world global government, a one world false religion. Amen. But the Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty between the Jews and between the Arabs, allowing the Jews to rebuild their temple. And man, people are going to think, man, peace has come to the earth. They're going to think the Antichrist is the Messiah. Amen? He's come to the earth. And that's why people are going to follow him. People are going to get in line to take that mark, just like they did with COVID. Amen? It won't be an issue. You don't take the mark, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to buy groceries or medicine. You won't be able to take care of your family. You won't be able to exist. You don't want to miss the rapture. Amen? And that's the way it's going to be up on the earth. Well, he's going to let them rebuild their temple. Now, I had a young preacher theologian call me several months ago because of a post I made on Facebook about the temples being rebuilt, and he wanted to argue with me. There isn't going to be no temple. And I said, well, why don't you read the verses I posted? So I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you what the Bible says. Amen? I'm even giving you what Jesus says. I said, you going to argue with that? 
Well, they don't need no temple. Jesus was the final sacrifice. The, the, the reason the Jews want to build a temple is they want to institute sacrifices again. And, and uh, you know, and he said, we don't need that. I said, I agree. We don't need that. Jesus is the final sacrifice. And any sacrifices they offer when they build temple, it's not going to atone for sin. Amen? But they don't know that. They're in blindness. And it doesn't change anything. They're still going to build it. And ultimately, when Christ comes back, and after the persecution of the Antichrist, where, where the vast majority of the Jews are going to be annihilated on the earth, that remnant that left is going to turn to Christ, embrace him as the Messiah. Amen? As their Lord and Savior. So a temple will be built. There has to be in order for them to institute sacrifice. You say, I want scripture on it. Okay, let's look at it. Go back to the book of Daniel. Chapter 9, we looked at this this morning. The 70 weeks of Daniel, the prophecy is verses 24 through 27. And uh, But let's just look at a couple verses. Look at verse 26, Daniel 9. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. And by the way, if you do all the math on this, it all figures out exactly to the dates. We talked about that today. Not for himself, but the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that comes, the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, the Romans did, and there shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war of desolations is determined. It will be so bad it will be like a flood, not, not water, uh, but the destruction of, of Jews and, and of Jerusalem. And then look at verse 27. Then he, that's the Antichrist, he, and it says he's coming from the people Come Well, that was Roman, so he obviously has some Roman descent about him. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. But in the midst of week, he'll cause the sacrifices and offerings to cease. Well, how's that going to happen? There's going to have to be a temple. Amen? And for the overspreading abominations, he'll make desolate even until the consummation are determined and shall be poured out upon the desolate. So that's just one passage. Look over at Matthew. Go back to your New Testament, Matthew 24 again, and look at, uh, look at verse 15. Jesus said, when you therefore see the abomination of desolation, that's when the Antichrist goes in the Holy of Holies and declares that he is God, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. That's <laughs> what we just read. Standing in the holy place, whosoever uh, readeth, let him understand. All right, look at Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Go over there, chapter four. Second <clears throat> Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and uh, look at verse two. Wait a minute, there's not a fourth chapter. What am I saying? First Thessalonians. Uh, no, there's, it's Second Thessalonians. It's not a fourth chapter, though. What do I got down here? I got to find it. I made a typo error in my notes. I got to find it. Uh, it's in here. Okay, there it is. Yeah, it's chapter 2, verse 4. Excuse me. All right, Second Thessalonians 2. Uh, back up to verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there first be a falling away first, and the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed, who is the son of perdition. Now look at verse 4. Here it is. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God, or that's worship, so that he as God sits where? In the temple of God, declaring himself that he is God. You see that? Revelation chapter 11, I'll just give you one more, and we need to wrap it up. In Revelation chapter 11, 
verse 1, it says, There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Again, this is all future. And the altar and them that worship therein. All right? So there will be a temple rebuilt. And there's plenty of scripture to prove it. Amen? Daniel mentioned it. So does Jesus. And that's going to, as soon as the tribulation begins, man, they're going to, they're going to start building that temple. And again, there'll be mass persecution of Jews take place under the Antichrist, uh, the deceiver, Satan's right hand man. One more attempt by the devil to try to destroy the Jews. And again, many believe there won't be any temple rebuilt. They believe that's all talking about the past, what had happened in the past. But I think it's pretty clear that there will be. If you don't believe there's going to be a temple built, this is what I'm going to say to you. You're going to have to tear the book of Revelation out of your Bible. Tear it out. And you're going to have to tear out some other chapters and verses. Amen? That we looked at tonight. So, seven major lies about Bible prophecy and end time events. There's more, but these these are the most prominent. Okay? The devil doesn't want you to believe that Jesus is coming again. He doesn't want anybody to believe that. And he wants you to think that you have plenty of time and think nothing about it. He wants you to think you don't have to be accountable to God. You don't have to do what the Word of God says. He wants you to think you don't need a Savior. He wants you to think Jesus is not Lord. And friend, I'm warning you tonight, don't you be deceived. We are living in the last days. I believe we're living at the 11th hour of the last days. Jesus is coming again. And you need to make absolutely certain that you're prepared, that you're ready. You say, how can I be prepared, preacher? Well, the first way you be prepared is make sure you've been born again. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't care who you are. Amen? If you haven't been born again, you're not a Christian. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. You're not a Christian. If you're baptized, sprinkled on as a baby, which that's not even in the Bible, by the way, that, that doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus said you've got to be born again. That means to be born from above. It means to be born of God. You've got to have a spiritual rebirth. And that happens when you realize you are a lost sinner deserving of hell, and you turn and repent of your sins, and by faith you trust Jesus Christ to come into your life and save your soul. That hadn't happened, you haven't been saved. You haven't been born again. Amen? As simple as that. That happened to me on February 1983. February 18th, 1983. Listen, I grew up in church, going to Sunday school and everything else. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. I knew all about Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And then 83, I had an encounter with him. And in 83 is when I placed my trust in him, my faith in him. And he came into my heart and came to my life, saved my soul, and he completely changed my life. You know what happened to me, Brother Tracy? I know I've told you this story before. I got saved on a Sunday morning at church service. <laughs> and the pastor was dealing with me, and he said, uh, he said, okay. He said, now that you're saved, he said, you need to be baptized. I said, okay. I didn't know much about that because the church I grew up in, wasn't a Baptist church. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, tonight, 6 o'clock. And he turned around and walked off. I love preachers like that. Amen? 
He didn't give me a choice. It's obedience. It's an act of obedience. So I got I got saved on Sunday morning, baptized on Sunday night. It don't always work out that way, probably for most people, but that's how that's how it worked for me, and and I'm kind of glad that it did. Amen. The fall of the Lord in baptism. But listen, don't you you can't do that unless you've first received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen. And made Him Master and Lord of your life, and you do that by faith when you when you trust him. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Excuse me. In just a few moments, we'll have our invitation. I believe the invitation is the most important part of the whole service. I really do. And I want to ask you a couple questions. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and the reason we don't do that out of ritual or anything, we do that just to shut off any distraction. So as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, friend, I want to ask you a question. I want you to please be judgment day honest. What I mean by that is if you're standing before Jesus, not before me. Because I can't see anyone's heart, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. I can't. But the Lord sees your heart. And I want to ask you, if you could say tonight, I'm saved, I know that I'm saved. I know that. I don't hope so, think so, maybe so. If that's your answer, you don't have it anyway. But if you say, I'm saved, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I've been born again. I've received Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior, the Bible way. I know I'm saved. And if I drop dead in the next two minutes, I know I'm going to go to heaven because I'm saved. Or if the Lord comes in the next two minutes, I know I'm going to go to heaven. If you could say that, would you point a hand toward heaven? If you could say that. Just point it toward heaven. And why you got it up there, thank God for your salvation. Thank him for it. Thank him for your salvation because he's the one that saved you. Amen. You put your hands down. God bless you, each one of you. Lots of hands went up. And this is serious business, folks, and I'm, I'm trying to help you. Anyone in this building tonight, if you don't know Christ, your Lord and Savior, listen, I just want you to know Jesus. God loves you. Christ died for you. And there's not a person on earth that God doesn't love. There's not a person on earth that Jesus didn't die for and shed his blood for. Not a person on earth. You say, well, preacher, that sounds good, but you don't know about me. You don't know where I've been, what I've done. No, and I don't need to know. God already knows, and I'm telling you, he loves you and Christ died for you. And he'll save you and forgive you if you'll surrender your life to him. By faith. You say, what do I got to do to be saved, preacher? Well, the first step is simply to admit that you're not. Have you ever done that? You can't go any further till, till you go there. I'm not saved. I need Christ. That's the first step. That's the first step. I'm not saved. I need Jesus. I, Lord, I am a sinner. Have you ever admitted to him? I am a sinner. I'm lost. Lost is a Bible word that describes our spiritual condition without Christ. Lord, I'm lost. I need you. Secondly, we got to be willing to repent of our sins. We got to be willing to turn. That's what repent means. And it's a change of mind, literally, about, about your sin, about yourself, and about God. That's what it is. Would you be willing to turn from your sins tonight and turn to Christ? Lord, I need you. I, I, I just need you in my life. Thirdly, you got to believe. And this is the key. You know, that's, uh, if you go out on the street of this city or the city that I live in or, anywhere and ask people, do you believe in Jesus? 99% of them are going to tell you yes. But probably 90% of them don't even know what it means and they wouldn't know him if they met him in a cornfield. 
I want to tell you, America is not Christian. America is religious. Amen? And there won't be one religious person in heaven, but hell's going to be full of them. I want to tell you, friend, to believe on Jesus doesn't mean you just believe about him. It's not just a head belief that saves you. I, I preach in other countries all over the world, and, and they, they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But I say, you've got to embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You've got to personally receive him into your life. You don't believe just about Jesus. It may begin there, but you believe in Jesus. You believe on Jesus. Romans 10, 9 explains it better than I can. It said, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. See, that's the difference. The difference between your head and heart. I got an old sermon I used to preach titled Missing Heaven by 18 Inches. It's 18 inches from your head to your heart, and I believe people, there's some people going to miss heaven by 18 inches. They got a head belief, don't have a heart belief. So would you be willing to believe? That means to trust him. That involves faith. You put your faith in your trust. You say, what do I believe, preacher? You believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world. You believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And you believe he was buried and he rose again. You believe that with your heart. And you trust him to be your Lord and Savior. Would you be willing to trust him tonight? You say, yeah, I want to do that. Well, you can. i got news, good news for you. You can tonight. And I pray that you will. You can do it tonight. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, those that received him, to them he gave power to become children of God. So you have to personally receive Christ. And you can receive him. Romans ten thirteen says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that verse means? It means what it says says what it means. So right now, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you say, preacher, man, I want to nail this down tonight. I want to be saved, and I want to know that I know that I'm saved, and I want to have peace in my heart about it. And he'll give, if you're saved, you'll have peace in your heart. You'll have peace in your heart if you're saved. And so I want like to lead you in a short, in a very simple prayer. Some call it the sinner's prayer. Some call it a prayer of salvation. It doesn't have a name in the Bible, so I don't care what you call it. And I want you to understand something. It's not the words that save you. And just repeating some words after me won't mean anything, won't mean a hill of beans. It won't even go above this ceiling unless you're sincere in your heart. But you've got to believe. If you're not believing, if you're not trusting Christ, this prayer won't mean anything. won't mean anything. You say, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to believe. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. Not in my good works, not in my good living, but only in him. Then right now, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. You can pray it out loud or you can just whisper it from your heart right there in your pew where you're seated. God is so powerful, he can hear a whisper all the way from heaven. <clears throat> So just say something like this. If you want to pray out loud, pray out loud. If you want to just whisper it, that's fine. Just say something like this. Say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. And I need Jesus. Lord, right now, best I know how, I repent. I turn from my sins and myself and I turn to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And Lord Jesus, right now, I place my faith, my trust in you 
and in you alone to save me. Come into my heart, come into my life, save my soul. Forgive me of all my sins and change my life forever. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me. And help me to live the rest of my life for you now. Help me to never be ashamed of you starting tonight. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.